Christians at Work. If you need to catch up, all of these are online. You can get to them uh, via links on our website or our Facebook page. But today we're talking about Christians at work. Our text begins in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. I'll read a chunk of it to you right now. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Now, I'll give you a heads up. We're going to read only, there's only going to be two slides that involve our text from Ephesians today. But we're going to read more passages, maybe than normal. I'd like to look at Proverbs chapter 18, verses 1 and 2, as one of our support texts to begin. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. The verse that we tend to highlight the most is that second verse. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. We don't often pay that much attention to the first one, but I think it's very relevant for today, given the world in which we live. Because, actually, we were all forced to isolate ourselves to some extent at some point in time. Some of us are still doing it. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. Who breaks out, he breaks out against all sound judgment. What happens is when people have a belief system, oftentimes they want to only surround themselves with other people who have the same belief system. Now, Christians, this is a good thing when it comes to Christianity. We're supposed to fellowship with like-minded people. We're supposed to do that sort of thing. But it's a very dangerous thing not to listen to other perspectives because you could be wrong like you think everybody else is. You know, it could be you. So those people who will isolate themselves, that, that's definitely connected to verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. See the connection? And this is what we see happening in our world today. People are isolating themselves, and they're doing it physically. A lot of people are still paid to stay home and not work. And a lot of us who did stay home for a while, because we had to, and some who still are, a lot of us turned on social media, turned on the TV, and fed our minds with what we like to hear. We had it on the channel we like. Other people didn't have it on the channel we like. And then divisions began to happen. We, we have, I don't know if you pay much attention to the way things work, but the social media platforms that we like to spend so much unnecessary time on, they have these things they call algorithms. It's basically how they set everything up so that everything will make them more money. Their marketers know the people that will put advertisements on there, they know that those social media giants are planning in such a way that it's wise 
to stick their ads right where they think they need to be. And that's why they get the big money. And we have isolated ourselves and fallen into the traps of not just social media, but also media, our favorites. And we pour into our minds what we like to hear. And oftentimes, we isolate ourselves from something we might need to hear. And you're here this morning, so I'm preaching to the choir. You're in church, and, and you, you open up your Bibles, and you, and you like to read what the Bible says. However, there are Christians that do it this way. If there's, there's a contrasting opinion about something that they have, someone says, well, the Bible says, and they, they do it like this. Well, I know what I believe. Don't tell me. There are Christians like that. And it's a shame because they're missing out on what God may have for them. Open up your Bibles. If somebody has a challenge to the beliefs that you hold dear, even beliefs that you studied and studied, maybe you did it for weeks and months and you came up with this conclusion, you still could be wrong. Let God's word prevail in your life, even if it means you're wrong. Wouldn't you rather be corrected than to stay wrong? Then we got to open this book up like we're doing right now. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I brought up this passage in Proverbs chapter 18 because it's, I don't know if you're like me, but you can go through Proverbs and you can read one chapter and go, oh my goodness, this has got to be my favorite. Then you read the next chapter. Wait, maybe, maybe this one's my favorite. There's so many just one-liners. You know, TED Talks are still a thing, but there's, Proverbs is full of those TED Talks and one-line verses that are so good. We're going to go back to Proverbs 18 because there's a relevant text, and, and I'm going to recommend that you use Proverbs. If you, if you dare and you want to learn more about today's subject, specifically laziness. If you want to learn more about laziness, here's a couple of words you can look up besides laziness and lazy. You could also look up sloth and sluggard in Proverbs. Those, those are some words that you'll see in some translations, and they will be very insightful. If we had more time, we would spend time on those words, but we don't. We've got to get to the point. Now, in our text, there is something that's brought up, and that's the bondservant thing. We'll get to that in a, again in a minute. Some of your translations say slaves, and this causes the back of the hair on the back of our necks to stand up, some of us. This is an uncomfortable thing to talk about, and it doesn't matter whether it's here or in a school or at the dinner table. It's, it's an uncomfortable subject for a lot of people because it's an uncomfortable part of history. And it's still ongoing today, by the way. It's still a thing. But for the most part, it's been removed from the public view we don't do it. It's, a, it's against the law in America and in most civilized countries. But this idea of slavery is also talked about in the Bible quite a bit. In fact, as we're going through these hard time letters in this series, hard time letters, it's, there's four specific books that are called Paul's prison epistles, although he wrote other books from prison as well. One of those is a very short book. In fact, it doesn't even have chapter divisions. 
It'll be the last one that we go through in this series. But today, and I, I, I would po- apologize in advance, but this is good for you, so I'm not going to. There are just a couple of slides where we will read the meat of that particular book. So the entirety in, in the meat of it, we're going to read. We're not going to read the, the kind of like the preface and the conclusion we're, or, the, or the goodbye little personal stuff. We're just going to read a very personal letter inspired by God, written by Paul, and it pertains to slavery in the first century. So in Philemon, I'm going to start with verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. You'll see who he is. Whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." One more slide for Philemon. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. You see, what happened is there is a, an apparent runaway slave, Onesimus, who is a Christian now, and his owner is also a Christian. And this Onesimus has been caring for the needs of Paul in his old age, and Paul is now saying the right thing to do is to go back. And he sends him back. But he's also telling the master receive him back like you would me. In fact, he goes on to say, uh, I need you to prepare a room for me because when I get out, I'm going to come see you. And so the idea is this slave owner is supposed to treat this slave as he would Paul, as a guest in his home, and treat him with respect and all those other things. It's not exactly the way we see the pictures of, of slavery in American history for sure. And world history as well. And I've been to, if you want to talk about it, I've, I've been to some of the slave routes that, um, that some of them stopped off in the Dominican Republic, and I've been right there on site. I didn't throw any pictures up for you today of those, but 
it's kind of a weird thing when you're there in a place where this, I think it was in the 1300s when this place was, one of these places was built. It's a, it's a uh, rum, they call it a sugar mill, but it's where they made rum. And it's, there's two locations there that I've walked in, and the, it's amazing to see the ruins, and it's really weird when you're walking through, because you would think they would be preserved. You know, there would be like a fence and a gate, and you have somebody guarding it. No, there's cows and goats walking through. Like, this is weird. It's not being preserved. But slavery was definitely different in Paul's particular situation. At least he was trying to make sure it was different. Treat this slave of yours as a fellow Christian. I want to talk to you about some history that we don't talk about very much that was revealed to me um, in an unexpected way. Does anybody know what this building is that's up behind me right there? Does that look familiar to anybody here? It's the, yes, that's right, it is. It's Cane Ridge. That is the Cane Ridge Meeting House. And it was built in 1791. I think those numbers should come up, those title and numbers, I hope. Is it not? Yeah, Cane Ridge Meeting, Meeting House, built in 1791. Pay careful attention to the building. Now, I've actually been all around it. I've been inside of it. I've never gone upstairs, but they're just kind of have a visual. I'm going to show you a different view of this in a minute. It's pretty fascinating the way this building got built. You see, it was Daniel Boone that was talking to a preacher up in the Northeast, and he told uh, this preacher, he said, you know where you ought to put a church? Cane Ridge, Kentucky. Told him where you ought to do it. And so they went down, he described this place, and they settled this place and built this cabin, and they, they used meager tools. One of the fascinating things that I noticed inside is you could see they built this thing with hatchets. And you could see the logs, the, the marks on the logs, you could see the, the angle being the same angle, and the same, the same chunks by the hatchets. You could see that log kind of is like that log. So the same guy must have chopped that one. And, and over here, too. And you could just see, it was pretty cool seeing this that's been preserved so well. I'm going to talk to you about this because it has something to do with our American history and slavery that we don't talk about. And I had never heard until I went to this place. So I'll show you a map up behind me. I went to Louisville, Kentucky. And in going there, the purpose was they had a leadership conference in that very big church I've talked to you about before, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. If you have to miss church here on a Sunday morning, it's one of the best online experiences you can have. And we went there, and it was a horrible plane flight. Uh, it, was a, it was a retired, I'm trying to think, uh, he was a sergeant major in the Army for many years, and he was retired. He'd been on a lot of rough plane flights, but this one was the worst. And he blamed me for it because I'm the one that got the cheap plane flights to get there. We went here, went there, and we got on a very small plane to ultimately arrive in Louisville, and it beat us up. But we're, when we got to Louisville, we went early because we wanted to see some things, and one of the things that I badly wanted to see was Cane Ridge. 
because this is the site of the largest revival in American history known as the Second Great Awakening. I wanted to go there and see just kind of a taste of history, you know. I want to plant this seed in your mind because once we get past this whole plague, um, I would love for some representatives from this church, I like to go with you, by the way, to go <laughs> to Louisville and go see Cane Ridge. There's a few things to see, like uh, Larry Bird's hometown. Does anybody know Larry Bird's hometown? French Lick, Indiana. There's also a historical site there uh, to see. So there's the way you go, and you go right through Frankfurt. So if you want to go through the capital of Kentucky, you can stop at a Kentucky Fried Chicken right there and feel like you did something special. Um, And they do wear shoes and shirts in there. I was surprised because I've been in Arkansas where some places they don't. But I think I've got another map. Yeah, let's go to the next map. So I wanted to kind of zoom in. So that's what we've done here. We have Cane Ridge. You can see that behind me. And you can also see Paris. So the route that you take once you go from Louisville and you go to Lexington, then you go up to Paris and over to Cane Ridge. Now, we saw a whole lot of horse racing stuff because that's very popular. This is in Bourbon County, so you can imagine what else you also see. But as we go there, we found ourselves in a community, and I, don't, I thought it was Paris. I've tried to look and find. I don't even know what it was. But we found ourselves in a little community in a crazy little It shouldn't have been a traffic jam, but we had a little bit of a traffic jam with a few cars. But we ended up uh, intermingling with the community a little bit, and and we were the only white people there. And I thought, what in the world? This is kind of unusual. I wouldn't have expected in the country, in Kentucky, to find a community like this. But we were treated like celebrities. We were treated so well and so much kindness. And it's very much like I've been treated when I have preached in or visited all black churches. I have my experience has been nothing but good. And I didn't understand why that happened that way until I learned a little bit more about the history I'm going to give to you. So now I want to show you another picture of this cabin, and this is encased. You can see there's something around it. This is that cabin that's been preserved. I wanted to show this to you. Uh, because it's, it shows you another angle. You can see the door. You can also see the opening above the door. That's on purpose. So this particular church, obviously these tens of thousands of people didn't meet in here. They met on the countryside, but this is the hub of that big revival. I'll show you the outside encasement. This is the next picture. That's what the the denomination known as Disciples of Christ has decided to make this a historical monument, and so they've encased it in a very strong building. The building that's encased, the cabin, is the largest one-room cabin in the United States um, today. That's, that's amazing. Uh, so I'll show you the inside of it. And I, I couldn't find, I have a picture of me standing there at the pulpit thinking that I was doing something special. But the funny thing is, if you look up this place, you'll see a whole lot of preachers who go visit there and stand behind the pulpit and have their picture taken and think they're doing something special. When it's actually what preachers do when they go there, apparently. Notice the loft up in the background. 
Yeah, that, that's kind of what I want to get to in a minute. I'll show you another angle of the building. There you go again inside the encasement. You see that big window above the front door. There's a reason for that. Let's show you the loft again, a different picture. And that's from the preacher's perspective. You've got a loft and it actually wraps around. Those steps that you see on the inside were retrofitted. They were not originally there. There were no inside steps to the loft. Zero. Isn't that weird? You build a loft, but there's no steps on the inside of the building. Well, why did they do that? Well, let's talk about that. You see, at the time when Kentucky, Kentucky was a state that did not allow blacks to be educated or to worship with whites. Uh, it's not allowed. Mm -mm, not going to do that. So what this community did is that they thought this was not okay. So they, they built a, a window above the front door and they kept a ladder nearby. And so that their slaves, any slaves in the community that wanted to come and observe the worship, that's what legally they were calling it, but they would go into the ladder, they'd go up to the loft and they would fill that place. And they actually would worship together and side-skirt the law in order to do it. Well, they, they just crawled in a window, you know. And they got away with it. They never got in trouble for it. Thomas and Alexander Campbell came down after this revival. They were so excited about this huge revival. They came down. They were going to try to, to, to help people along as this just took off, this just-the-Bible kind of a movement. No creeds of man was the, the idea. But Thomas and Alexander Campbell went back to Pennsylvania because they did not like the Kentucky law that did not allow slaves to be educated. They, so they, they just went back to Pennsylvania. Now here's an interesting thing. Over the years, this church that is a fantastic historical reminder of this revival, this church struggled Ultimately, the black community wanted their own church. They have their own culture and the way they wanted to worship and is different. So they built their own church and their own churches. And as they did this, they severed and they had, the white people had their own church and the slaves had their own church. But the, the church there struggled financially over the years to the point where they thought they were going to have to close their doors many times. And it was the black congregations that chipped in and saved the white church. And you know why they did that? Because of their memories. It was, it was passed down from the generations before them. Because these particular slave owners here that surrounded the Cane Ridge Church, when they would do, this is the way things went. When they would build a house for their family, they would build an identical house for the slave's family. No difference. They saw them as just the same as them. They just work for us. And there was a mutual respect, which I could feel when I got stuck in that community and when we were the only white people there. And I began to hear stories about why it was that way, and it was about that Cane Ridge church. I never heard that growing up. I heard nothing but negative. And most of the things that were happening with slaves was negative. And the Bible does not support that. And I want to be clear because some people might make some 
presumptions at this point in time. So you can quote me on this slide right here. I, these are my words. Not only is it a wonderful thing we abolish slavery in the modern world, it is, it's even better we've learned to treat others with kindness and compassion no matter their physical appearance. I want to give you this. Uh, up behind me is a, an image. You can, I don't know how easy it is to find online. Some of you know that I write a weekly newspaper column. It ends up in three different papers sometimes, and sometimes it gets picked up in other places. This one got picked up in a lot of places, uh, but I haven't even tried to try to Google it. It's a, from my um, blogging. I haven't done that in a while. What I was doing for a while was pasting my, my columns into this, and I haven't done it in a while. But the title is, So Do You Really Want to Be Woke? I've given that to Marcy, and it'll end up on our Facebook page at some point in time soon. So you'll be able to look it up. And this uh, I wrote when we actually uh, started seeing the riots unfold uh, a while back. I wrote this because there were some uh, white pastors who put a newspaper article in a newspaper in Centralia, Washington. I know almost all of those pastors, but the gist of this newspaper article was an apology for being white. And I thought, what in the world? You can't help how you're born. I, I thought it was a crazy notion, so this was uh, this is actually a second part of a, an article. What happened is the newspaper, because COVID, they said we can't do a religious column anymore. They had to terminate a lot of people, and they, don't, they didn't do a religious column in print, so they went electronic. So they said uh, it's only going to be online now. And, I, and so I saw an opportunity. I said, so am I still limited to 600 words? And they said, no, you're... You're unlimited. <laughs> I think this one's like 13,000, so it's like a small book. Be prepared. There are links, but um, that's what they told me. And in the process of doing some research before completing that particular one, I discovered a man, and this is what he looks like up behind me, uh, Vodi Bakum. I don't know. I, his name's not even there. I'm surprised I didn't do that. Uh, Vodi Bakum is spelled V-O-D-D-I-E-B-A-U-C-H-A-M. And that book, Fault Lines, is an excellent book. It's a short read. It's worth your time. If you want to have very clear, um, reasonable insight on critical race theory today and its impact on the church, there it is. Um, if you choose to go to my particular one that I referenced earlier, so do you really want to be woke, uh, you'll discover I, uh, I have a long history with uh, that subject. Okay, I want to quote from you Michael King Jr. <laughs> I did that on purpose. It's Martin Luther King Jr. His birth name is Michael. I don't know if you remember the story. His father, as a preacher, he was sent to Europe and all around over there, and he was part of the, his trip included Berlin, and he learned about Martin Luther, the guy that we theme our carnival around. Um, he learned about him and his impact on the world, and so he changed his name and his son's name to Martin Luther. Uh, it wasn't legal until 1957 when Martin Luther King Jr. actually all, had his birth certificate altered. But what he said, and you're familiar with it, I look to a day when people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content 
of their character. I know it's familiar, but it's, something, it's a good quote, and I wanted to remind you. Now let's get back to our text. This is where we started in Ephesians chapter 6. You'll see it up behind me, and we're going to make some changes. Because we need to apply it to us today. So let's see how we can do this with bond servants if we change it to employees. Let's see how this works. Employees obey your, and let's change this to supervisors, since this could be a way that we can apply it today. With fear and trembling and a sincere heart as you would Christ. And by the way, we're going to go to another prison epistle and see this very supported, the same concept. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You want to please the Lord, and that's why you treat your supervisor with respect. Even if they don't act respectful, you treat them that way because Christ wants you to and you want to please him. That's the idea from your heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. See, you're working as if you're working for the Lord and not for man. Even if your supervisor is a cruel jerk, you represent Christ. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. And we can change those bond servants. We'll change all of them. You'll see as he clicks away, there's employees. And you'll see again, unemployed or is free. This applies to us as we work. And it doesn't necessarily have to apply only to us as we work in the workplace. It could apply to any work. Remember me referencing the sloth and the sluggard and talking about laziness? Christians, is. It's not a good trait to be known as a lazy person. So your witness as a Christian seriously diminishes if you're known as a lazy person. Let me show you in another prison epistle a support text. It's almost identical. Look at this, Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 22. Bondservants, and I'm not going to change the words. We can do that in our own minds. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. This sounds eerily familiar. Knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. I'd like to give you a real-life illustration by means of a story that happened in the fall of 1989. So in this map you see up behind me is what I'm going to use as my launching pad for that. And you can see right in the middle is where Stephanie is, where she's constantly living in the state of Missouri. I call it living in the state of misery. She goes back and takes care of her father, Quite regularly, she's there this weekend, but she will be here for the carnival. And by the way, if you want to be here to help out, I'll be here Friday doing more stuff. Uh, so Rich Hill, Missouri is in the center of the map. Now I want to show you there's going to be an X that marks the spot. A little bit north of Rich Hill, Missouri, between Rich Hill and Kansas City, is a small town. It's the county seat. It's Butler, 
Missouri. It's not marked on, the, on this particular map except with that X. I wanted to mark this X there uh, just, just between Butler and Rich Hill because of what happened in 1989. We were driving uh, to do some kind of a youth thing, and we didn't need the van because only two youth wanted to come. And so we took those two youth to an event. On the way back from the event, there was a motorhome on the shoulder. There was an older lady that I could see, and she had some kids she was trying to manage. It was nighttime. I pulled over quite a ways in front of the motorhome and told everybody to stay in the car. I got out, and I met a senior citizen man who was kind of hunched over, and, he, and I said, are you okay? And he said, uh, trying to change a tire on that thing, and the darn thing fell on me. And I thought, well, let's take a look at it. And I didn't think he meant literally. I thought he meant it just fell. And what happened is it was new asphalt that was poured to make the shoulder very, very fresh. And his, he jacked it up and he wanted to take a look and see what was going on. There were two tires back there. So he wanted to see what was going on. So he crawled underneath it and that jack poked through the pavement and the thing came down on him. And while he's under it, he began jacking it up and it lifted up enough where he could crawl out. But while he was standing there, he was beginning to have a heart attack. And so when I figured out what actually happened, I look at him and I thought, he's, he's not well. Hospital wasn't too far away. And so we got him to the hospital. Helicopter picked him up. That's how dire this was. I got the tire fixed. I told Stephanie, I need you to take the, uh, the kids home. And we, I will ride with this lady up to the hospital because she couldn't, she had to drive the motorhome back up to the hospital in Kansas City. And she kept asking me, why are you doing this? Now, I want you to understand, I am masterful at boogering things up. I, I can just, Dan could tell you, I think three trips to Lowe's on Friday because I kept messing things up. So I can do that. I've got mad skills when it comes to making errors. I can do that. And just before this happened, I had a, the full 15-passenger van load of kids, and we had gone to an event down in Joplin, and there was an older couple whose car stalled, and it was kind of scary because it was in a curve. So I turned the lights on on the van, had them flashing up around the curve so that nobody would come around and hit us, and got some of the boys out, and we pushed that car to safety and took care of them. And... After it was all over, I thought we did such a good thing, but I prayed for that couple, never got their name, and I was convicted by God's Spirit that I failed. Yes, we physically helped this couple, but here was a van full of kids that we could have said, we're Christians. This is what we do. We love people. And, you know, we couldn't just pass you by. There was an opportunity that I, I failed miserably. I, I even apologized to the youth, the entire youth group, and said, I'm, I failed you in leading. I should have told the people what our motivation was, why we were different, why most kids wouldn't stop for adults that are broken down on the side of a, or in a curve on a road. So I thought, next time there's an opportunity, I'm not going to miss it. So here's this lady asking me, why are you riding up here with me? Well, I'm a Christian. You're cl clearly upset. We don't know what's happening to your husband. 
I, I want to be there with you through this because I'm a Christian and I love God. He loves me and I'm called to love others. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm loving you. Grandkids are there. Of course, they're looking at me weird, but we get up to the hospital. I stay with her. I didn't, I didn't get any sleep that night. Stephanie came up and picked me up and she just kept saying, I can't believe you're doing this. I said, well, this is what, this is what Christians do. Don't you work? Yeah, but I had to call in. It turns out we got a Christmas card from them. We shared addresses. We got a Christmas card from them that Christmas. And it was extremely nice. You see, this old man who survived had not gone to church for some 30 years because he worked with Christians. (laughs) He saw how they acted. He wanted everything to do with them. But because she told him the person that stopped and helped and probably helped save your life did it because they were Christians. And they, was, they were already going back to church. So I failed on the first one, succeeded on the second one. But the reason why I tell you this story is there's a man that wouldn't go to church for 30 years because the people that call themselves Christian in his workplace did not represent Christ well. I already told you that I'm very good at failing. That could have been me failing in an example. I hope it wouldn't be. But I want to show you some magnets. This is just an animated GIF up behind me. Magnets are supposed to stick together when you have them in the right... Oh, those didn't stick together. You see, because when you get it wrong, you actually repulse people, Christians. If you are not a Christian at work... If you're not a Christian at school or you don't behave like one, uh, if you're not a Christian in your community, if you're not a Christian in the car as you drive down the road, you repulse people from Christianity. We're supposed to represent. Remember this journey that Paul has taken us on? He said, you used to be like the Gentiles. Don't, Don't be critical of them. You used to be like that. But you're not supposed to be like that now, Christians. We are not like them. We behave differently. And specifically today, our text applies very grandly to the workplace environment. So Christians, I can, I've got so many stories. I've got other people's stories. I can tell you it works. If you live like a Christian at work, you impact people even though you don't realize you're impacting people. I want to give you another passage might be familiar to you about the work ethic. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting with verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. There you go. That's a, that's a powerful verse right there. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. That's the way it works. That, that idea, that phrase that is um, idle hands... Leads to loose mouths. You know, idleness is not a good thing. It's not the same thing as having a day of rest. That's a good thing. But having a lifestyle of idleness is very unhealthy. Verse 12, Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. See, you're not doing this work to try to look good to your boss. You're doing this work to try to please the Lord. That's the whole goal. 
and the Lord will bless you. You you don't try to force those blessings. Just represent Christ as you work. Remember I said I wanted to get back to Proverbs because that particular chapter has a very insightful verse. Well, here we go, right behind me. Proverbs 18.9. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Ouch! It's the truth. Back in our text, there's more. It's not just for the worker. Look at this, talking about the masters, which would be bosses. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. God is watching you Christian supervisors. There is a good way to manage people, and then there is the typical standard way to manage people. And the good way is the Christian way. You don't have to be oppressive. Leaders lead by pulling people because they're in the front. They don't push people. Does that tell you where they are? Does that make sense? So don't, you don't have to be the kind of supervisor that is constantly threatening. It's not healthy. Motivating is not the same as threatening. Learn the difference, supervisors, because God is a motivator. That's the way He is. Be like Him. Follow His example and positively motivate people. Don't threaten. If you do a lot of threatening, you're going to run off your good employees. There's another passage I want to show you that Paul wrote, Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. If you haven't highlighted anything in our text today, there's a good one. There's a good line. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's a good competition. I'm going to show honor to other people better. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. That whole chunk is perfect for our circumstances right here, right now, today. Philippians. (laughs) Another one of those prison epistles. says in chapter 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So when you're working, you're not supposed to be doing this for your own benefit, for your own glory. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Wow! Can you imagine working in a workplace like that, where everybody considers the other better than them? Wow! That's good stuff right there. Can you imagine the workplace environment? The, you, somebody were to ask you, uh, so what's the morale like at your work? If you had this kind of thing going on a lot, you'd have a good answer every time. See, the idea of today's text, it, it does cross. We can, we can have the boundaries of the workplace environment, but we know it applies other places. Wherever you work, volunteering. Are you supposed to be, just because it's not the workplace environment, it's okay to be a sloth then? No. Wherever you work, in your home, wherever you work, 
you're supposed to represent. This is the theme that we keep getting as Paul's been taking us through Ephesians. You used to be like the unbelievers, but you're not anymore. You're not supposed to be. Represent the Lord, Christians. Let's pray. God, help us because we know that we fail you sometimes, Lord. That's why we appeal to you and ask for your help. We thank you very much for listening to us when we come to you, even when we know we've fallen flat on our face spiritually and failed you. We know that you still listen and you have much grace for us. We don't take that for granted, but are very appreciative. Lord, we come to you now asking for your help because there are times when we fail you in representing you. We want to do better. So we ask for your help in that, Lord. If there's any way that you can open doors that seem to be closed at work, will you please open them? Lord, if there's any way that you can crack open some doors that appear, that appear to be closed in other areas of our lives where we can represent you better, we want to do that. And we ask that you would crack open those doors so that we can. God, give us the opportunity Motivate us to do the right thing. And Lord, may you be pleased. In Jesus' name, amen.